so today we have Dr. Nadeem Webby. He is the department head for civil and environmental engineering at South Dakota State University. Um, he was actually my uh, one of my, I guess, mentors, one of the main mentors since he's uh, focuses in structure. So he's one of my main mentors when I went to school at South Dakota State. Um, he is also the John M. Hansen Professor, which is a, a distinguished um, title that he has received based on his accomplishments and the director of many other things kind of um, involved in many, many things. He has his PhD and he is also a fellow of the uh, ACI and uh, the Structural Engineering Institute within uh, the American Society of Civil Engineers and a fellow for the American Society of Civil Engineers. So thank you, Dr. Webby, for joining today. Um, I know it's a super busy time with everything going to virtual and all the craziness of um, transitioning. So I'm sure you're crazy busy, but I appreciate you taking time to sit down with me. So thanks. Well, thank you, Carrie. It, it is my pleasure to be talking with you today. Awesome. So if you could start, maybe just give a little bit of information as far as where you grew up and maybe what you wanted to do when you were younger, what kind of led you into the career path that you have? Uh, well, uh, I was born and raised in my native country of uh, Lebanon. It's a tiny country on the Eastern Mediterranean Sea. Uh, it's probably about the size of four times the size of Rhode Island, a very tiny country. Uh, although the country is only uh, uh, 10,400 square kilometers, uh, it has such a variety of scenery from coastal areas to uh, snow-covered mountains. So uh, um, I grew up in a coastal town only five miles south of Beirut, the capital of the country. Um, and as a child, I spent uh, a lot of time during my summer vacation from school on the beach because we were in a coastal town. Um, my childhood and teenage years were in the 1960s and the 1970s, so you can tell the impact of these two de decades on, on my character and my uh, likings. Um, I went to school uh, in Lebanon. My K through 12 schooling was in Lebanon. And then I went to the American University of Beirut uh, for my undergraduate education where I earned my Bachelor of Engineering degree. Uh, after that, I left the country uh, for work opportunities overseas and have not lived there on a permanent basis uh, ever since uh, when I left at the age of 21. I used to still go back for visits, but not as frequent uh, as I used to. So, so this you got is, your degree in civil engineering uh, from, did you say uh, in Lebanon, but what was the name of the university? It is American University of Beirut, okay. AUB, okay. basically. Okay. It's, it's one of the, uh, best universities in the region uh, was established mm -hmm. in 1866 uh, by mm -hmm. an American missionary, uh, Dr. Bliss. And it has been uh, a hub of education for uh, the area, not only for Lebanon, but for the entire region uh, ever since it was established. Sure. 
So then, so then you started working, did you start working consulting then? Correct. I started to work in structural engineering. I graduated in 1980 uh, with my degree, undergraduate degree, and worked for almost uh, nine years in the profession. And, uh, and after that, uh, I decided to go back to graduate school, but probably this is something that we can talk about in a little bit. <laughs> Unless you want. <laughs> sure. Yeah, so you went to graduate school in Reno, is that right? Yes, I went to back to graduate school at the University of Nevada, Reno, where I earned my master's and my PhD in structural engineering. Okay, so what was the impetus to go back to school? Well, um, I've I always wanted to go to graduate school, especially after I earned my undergraduate degree. Um, mm -hmm. So I had different options back then. Um, either go to graduate school in engineering or combine engineering with business. Back then it was a very hot combination. Mm -hmm. So actually I ap applied to business schools and engineering schools here in the United States and I got acceptance. Uh, from some of the prominent universities here in the United States. But back then when I graduated with my undergraduate degree, there was a lot of work going on in the uh, uh, Gulf region, uh, not the Gulf region here in the United States, the uh, Arab Gulf region. Uh, uh, the money was so good uh, and you know, uh, being a poor <laughs> student, you just graduated and you don't have any money. Uh, money was a major factor in my decision to go into the workforce rather than pursue a graduate degree. So it was always on my mind, the graduate degree was always on my mind. So um, after we settled in the United States, I decided to go back and pursue my graduate degrees as a non-traditional student. Sure. Did you go straight, so from your PhD to um, collegiate level, like did you go straight from getting your PhD to South Dakota State? Correct. You, okay, okay. Yeah, I, um, I came here uh, right after earning my, my doctorate degree. Okay. I feel like that, that real world, like just now that you're talking or whatever, like that real world experience that you received, um, tie, and then coupled with your, um, you know, the, the scholastic side of it, or, you know, the research side of it, I feel like that was like a, a very great balance. And I'm sure it is for your students now, but I just remember being in your classes and you always had a real world example to tie it to. So it wasn't just the theory. It was also a real world example. And I think that made it much more intriguing and interesting because we could all see that, that this, like there was like, a bridge between the theoretical stuff that we were learning. I didn't mean to use that analogy of a bridge in the structural <laughs> conversation here, but you know, there's a bridge between um, the theoretical things that we're learning and then what we're going to be doing. So it's almost like you gave us a, um, a look into what our future was gonna be like as far as what we could see ourselves doing 
Um, and I think that's, that's very valuable and, and not always common. So thanks. I think a lot of us appreciated that. Well, I really appreciate that you, you noticed uh, that uh, during the classes you took from me. And um, I always think that uh, practical experience is indispensable. Uh, I mean, it's one thing to be brilliant uh, uh, in the classroom and uh, studying the, the books, and but uh, there is no uh, alternative to being out there and, and seeing how things are done. And the, it's a completely different world as, as a practicing engineer. Right. Uh, and my experience also helped me during graduate school because um, my dissertation involved experimental work and being in the lab and preparing my uh, my specimens, uh, my practical experience helped me a lot mm -hmm. solving issues and problems in, in uh, building my specimens and testing them. Sure, sure. At, at least this is what, what my uh, PhD advisor once told me. He said, I really appreciate your background because yeah. <laughs> it reflects in the lab. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think that probably carried through to the structures lab at SDSU, right? I mean, you were, you were instrumental in starting that up and getting that established as kind of a regional place for research, right? That's correct. I was lucky enough to be involved with establishing that, uh, that facility. Mm -hmm. uh, here at SDSU okay. and it, it made all the difference to our uh, research program. Mm -hmm. Yes, because I think, I mean, when I started school, I, I'm not sure there, there weren't any PhDs in structural. I don't think there was any sort of opportunity for that, correct? Was there a master's program? Correct. Okay. It was a master's program and we started the PhD only uh, recently, um, I guess back in 2015. Okay. okay. That's when we reintroduced. I'm told that in the old days, pre predates my time, we used to have a PhD degree in engineering here at State. Uh, but when I came here, uh, we did not offer uh, such a degree. And then... Uh, in, the, in 2015, we uh, reintroduced the PhD degree to the program. Okay, okay. And without the lab there that you started up, that would not be an opportunity. That would Absolutely. not. Absolutely. Absolutely. No. All right. So when you were little, what did you want to be? <laughs> A surfer? <laughs> <laughs> you know, not really, although I, I enjoyed the, we don't have uh, uh, big surfs in, back in, in Lebanon, but I enjoyed surfing as much as the opportunity. <laughs> but really, uh, as I was telling you a short while ago, I'm a child of the 60s and the 70s, and uh, uh, in the 60s, the American space program was at its earnest. I mean, they had started and there was a competition with the Soviet space program. So I was intrigued with the space program. And like every child of that era, uh, I wanted to be a pilot. Uh, of course, uh, being involved in a space program was uh, not realistic for me being from a different country, a tiny country. But uh, the next best thing was to, to become a pilot. 
So as a child, I always wanted to be a pilot. Uh, but then, you know, interests change as, as you grow up. And, uh, so um, as I was growing up, my, my dad was a plumbing contractor. So uh, on a few occasions, I used to go with him to the, to the job site. And I remember one time seeing the uh, uh, engineer of record coming to site and inspecting things. And, and uh, that fascinated me. Yeah. This person of authority coming in uh, and making sure that everything was being uh, constructed uh, the way it's supposed to be. So um, I started to uh, grow some uh, interest in structures. Okay. And then when, when I was in high school, I had made up my mind that I wanted to be an engineer. Okay. Okay. Very interesting. <laughs> um, okay. So like, what's maybe one of your least, like your least expected hobbies? What would be something like <laughs> unexpected? You'd be surprised to hear me say that. <laughs> um, I honestly uh, would like to do manual chores, like fixing stuff around the house or, or working in the backyard to the sound of uh, classic rock music. Okay, okay. <laughs> what is your favorite band? Well, uh, uh, I like Led, Led Zeppelin, okay. uh, Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd was, was great in the 70s. Yes. Uh, ACDC. Okay. Uh, so all the classic rock. Fleetwood Mac, which came a little bit, yeah, in the 70s came out. They were big okay. in the 70s. Yeah, I like Fleetwood Mac. Okay. Sure. Okay. I like that. I can, I can see how that would be a good balance to like the theoretical using, you know, your brain and then just like, there is some satisfaction of like manual labor and, you know, seeing a goal and being able to achieve it. Um, without having the complexities of figuring it out in your head. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes you feel that you just want to push him over yeah. and, and listen to music. <laughs> this is how I decompress after a long week in the office or in the classroom or in the okay. lab. <laughs> okay. No, I can see that. I kind of like to swing a hammer every once in a while. My accuracy <laughs> isn't great, but I do enjoy it every once in a while. So for a little bit, for a hot second until I get tired. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, what? So, like, what would be something that you're passionate about, like, um, beyond civil engineering and structures? Um, I have to go back to to what I do. I'm really passionate about uh, not necessarily structures or. Uh, about passing the knowledge that I have to the new generation mm -hmm. and seeing that uh, it's really making an impact. Mm -hmm. And you don't see that until a few years down the road mm -hmm. uh, when you see the generations that went through your classroom and see that they're doing great and the great things that they have accomplished. So I'm passionate about passing knowledge, irrespective of whether it's in engineering or some experiences, life experiences. Yeah, 
I think that's so cool because that's like you found that passion with your work. And I don't think that happens for everyone where like kind of their life mission also aligns with their work and that comes through. And I think maybe that energizes you to do what you do when like now when things are super chaotic and weird, like you're still motivated by that passion. Um, and that's like what gives you energy to carry you through. And I think all of us that were students or that, you know, past students see that in you too. So I think Thank you did you. a great job of, <laughs> of carrying that through. So implementation is great. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so along, along those lines a little bit, what, so as a professional, so I've been out for almost 20 years from, you know, school or whatever. Um, what would like, what recommendation or what advice would you give those of us professionals um, for helping students these days? So what can we do to be more accommodating, more uh, better mentors for students, new engineers, new students that are coming into the field? Um, we definitely, um, as experienced engineers, we want to nurture the new generation. And uh, uh, we have to let them know that uh, it, it'll take them time to uh, uh, acquire and accumulate knowledge. It doesn't come overnight, uh, no matter how book smarts they are. Uh, so, the, the main advice that we should give them is uh, uh, sink your teeth into every project you, you work on. Uh, you need to be very curious. You need to learn why we're doing the things we're doing and uh, ask for help. Uh, don't just do things because you, uh, you went back to a reference book and you saw it. Um, in a book, written in a book or in a reference. Uh, and they should be curious to know why we're doing the things that we are doing. Uh, it's not just applying an equation. Sometimes common sense goes long ways. So they have to learn to use common sense. They have to learn to uh, seek knowledge uh, beyond the application of a software or or an equation and uh, this comes from people uh, like you uh, who have been out there for an extended period of time and have accumulated knowledge and experience uh, sometimes I feel that uh, as time passes by I feel like uh, I'm being exposed to, if you, you want to call it new cultures, the new generations, uh, like the students that I teach nowadays are completely different from your generation in terms of their expectations, in terms of their preparation. Mm -hmm. um, so um, we have to keep reminding the new generations that uh, uh, it's okay to communicate with people who are not of their generation and probably uh, are a little bit older. And um, so uh, 
that's the main thing that uh, I believe we should be uh, helping the new generation and be very accommodating. Um, as I said, the expectations of the new generation now is completely different from expectations 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, we have to be accommodating and uh, we have to learn their way of thinking. We shouldn't expect them to learn our way of thinking. We should learn how they think and, uh, and help them uh, by uh, attending to their, to their way of thinking. I think as you're saying that, so I mean, that makes sense because those of us that have experience, like we already have that knowledge base. So a new student is coming in and they have to learn so much on the job anyway, from a technical standpoint. So like adding onto that, how to think or how, you know, someone of an older generation is thinking, that's even one more thing to add on to something that's already daunting for them. Whereas if we already have, we as the older generation already have that baseline knowledge and technical competency, then we can learn how they think, right? And help with that so that, so that we can teach them that knowledge. And then eventually then they can figure out how we think too, but like maybe not right away because they're already trying to get up to a certain level technically correct which is challenging i mean that's the first year of being on the job is the hardest year for sure because you're taking all of this information that you learn theoretically and implementing it in the real world and i think for me like one of the hardest things that i struggled with in that transition was thinking in 3d so so many of the things that we did in class and in school is you know a 2d beam or a column and then when you get out in the real world and you have to put that all into the same context and and transfer all those loads from the roof all the way down to the foundation just being able to think in that regard is the biggest that was one of the biggest hurdles for me to get there so if people are able to communicate the way that i needed to communicate in that time like then I think, I think you get one, you get over one of those hurdles right away. So yes. I like how you said that. The school provides you with only the basic knowledge mm -hmm. that will launch your career. So after that, it's, uh, it's basically personal uh, effort. Mm -hmm. And good mentors, like good mentors good, are so important, professional mentors. Yeah. Yes, yes for sure. Um, okay, so can you name one risk that you've had to take to get to where you're at right now? And you don't have to limit it to one. Actually, uh, I'm not a big risk taker, but I took two, if you want to call them risks or jumps in my, in my professional life. The first one was the decision that I made to immigrate to the United States. I, uh, so uh, I was already married, had a small family. Uh, my children were not born yet, but it was a time when my wife and I decided that we either do it now at our age, or it'll be very difficult for us later on in life to make the change. And this is because of the uh, uh, unsettling situation back in the old country. Okay. Uh, so we decided that we need to move on. We want our children to grow up in an environment away from uh, troubles and violence. And so that was uh, 
if you want to call it a major decision, it was a risk in a sense that uh, we decided to leave uh, our jobs, our profession behind and move on. It was a new life, a major change. Mm -hmm. But the bigger uh, risk was for me to, after both of my children were born, was this decision to go back to graduate school. So okay. it meant that uh, uh, less resources for the family. So my wife worked full time as a registered nurse to support the family. And uh, I decided to go back to graduate school. Mm -hmm. So it took a few years, and but we had a plan. Uh, we had a plan we, for uh, the future. And uh, those were the two main decisions, major decisions or risks, if you want to call them. I could have stayed in the profession, uh, and th there was nothing wrong with that, without a graduate uh, degree. Uh, I see many, many successful uh, leaders in engineering, uh, 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 without graduate degrees. So a graduate degree does not necessarily guarantee that you are going to become a better engineer or, or a leader. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, going back to your question, risk uh, that I took, which led to where I am right now, this is the one. Okay. It, it's different when you are in school by, I mean, if, if you are single, you don't have a family, and if you have a family that you need to support. Yeah. So that was the major risk. And uh, it played out the way we had planned it, luckily. Yeah, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. No major surprises. <laughs> and the nice thing is when I started here, my wife went back to school and she earned her doctorate as well. Okay. Does she teach? Uh, she started teaching, but she is now uh, the Dean of the uh, School of Health Sciences at USD. Okay, okay, okay. Well, that's awesome. So I feel like you guys both kind of had times where one of you was, you know, in their profession and the other one was gaining knowledge to kind of up to the next level in their profession. And now here you are both. <laughs> You're the department head um, and she is the dean as well. So you spend a lifetime together. <laughs> yes. I love that. So, who would be somebody that inspires you? Um, well, people that inspire me or individuals that inspire me are disadvantaged children uh, who overcome adversities and become very successful individuals. Well, for me growing up, I was not living in an affluent environment by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, we were lower middle class, but life was simple, life was okay. So we, I was not faced with any major hurdles in my life, probably financial need every now and then, but Nothing, but when you look at uh, those who are really disadvantaged in life and you see that they overcome adversities, they persevere, they work very hard and then, wow, uh, they become uh, uh, very successful in life. So those are the people who inspire me actually. Yeah. And you, you see many examples in, in real life. I bet in school too, right? In school, yes, absolutely. Yeah. 
And I think that takes a lot of awareness to see that um, and to see that not everyone starts at zero. Like some people have to get there first. Like nobody, like the benchmark is different for everyone. Um, Absolutely. So amazing to see how people overcome that. And I mean, I mean, just, you know, basic things that you normally wouldn't even think of like you know being able to read and you know just all of those adversities that could come up yeah i agree yes it's very inspiring so all right well thanks thanks dr webby this has been fun so thanks for sitting down and it's been good these are things that i didn't know about you either so (laughs) (laughs) terry it was a pleasure sitting down with you and seeing you after all these years so (laughs) i hope when you get a chance, you can swing by here and <laughs> can I show you around what's, what's going on. I'm, I'm talking to you now from the third, uh, from uh, my office on the third floor okay. of Brothers Engineering. When okay. you were here, we were down in the basement on the first floor. Yes. So we moved, we're moving on. Uh, <laughs> up. Moving up, moving up. There's nowhere to go um, unless if you have a rooftop deck now. <laughs> That's it. That's the highest floor. 